Blog Talk Radio. So it's faith-based. So you're involved with faithism, not atheism, right? It was that you said, saying that you know, a lot of Christians, um, they maybe text or they maybe email you, and you know they were pretty much scared of you. And I said, oh, okay, a challenge, okay. No, I believe the Bible. I don't believe the Bible is saying that slavery is okay because it gives instructions about how to handle slavery. Andrew, that's faith. You just said you accept evolution, evolution theory. So that's faith. You got faith in a theory. By any chance, are you gay? Uh, what do you think about Baltos? Hello, everyone. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me here again on the Atheist Roundtable, this weekly live call-in show about atheism and agnosticism. Belief, non-belief, a whole bunch of other things just kind of flow into your host's stream of consciousness for 30 or so minutes every week here on Blog Talk Radio because, well, let's face it, that's what Blog Talk Radio gives me for free, and I am a cheap bastard. I'm that cheap bastard, and my name is Andrew Garmer. I want you to send me your friend requests on Facebook and likes for the fan page for for the Atheist Roundtable on Facebook. Those will help me be less of a bastard. Not so much of a less of a cheap bastard, however. If you want to help me be less of a cheap bastard, you need to go to patreon.com slash atheist roundtable and maybe help me out with money there. And I won't be so cheap, maybe. Look, I don't want anybody to think that they have to go to Patreon. I really just set that thing up on a whim because uh, there was indeed a audio a quality difference when Blog Talk Radio gave me access to their premium features for free one month. Didn't even realize they were going to do that. They were so nice. And, um, and now I'm kind of hooked. So there you go. This week, I want to talk about something that's well near and dear to my... I want to talk about something that's rather intimate. Intimate. It's rather personal, okay? I want to talk about circumcision, and not necessarily my own circumcision, not necessarily the the circumcision that I have, but I really kind of want to talk about the decision uh, that my wife and I made to circumcise my son. Now, my son is now 10 years old, and when my son was conceived, when my son was born, I wasn't an atheist yet. I was not yet calling myself an atheist. I I wasn't religious, per se, right? I mean, I had moved away from Catholicism years ago. I had decided that I was not going to be a Christian years prior to this. But at the same time, I had not yet made that final cut, that final thrust, that final leap into atheism yet. It would be, for my wife, it would be that day. That would be that final cut. Uh, And for me, it would be just a couple of days, weeks later, really, uh, that I would follow. Um, My wife was going to look at my son and realize that there was no such thing as original sin. My wife was going to look at our newborn baby and realize that he had not been born broken, that he had not been born sinful, that he had not been born raw. And I was going to take a little bit more time. But before that, before that, we had had many conversations 
about whether or not we were going to circumcise our son. You know, you have to have this kind of decision kind of worked out before uh, the birth. You kind of have to have all of these things kind of worked out. And you have to have them worked out uh, mostly because uh, my wife, for my son, had eventually had an emergency C-section. We were going to go the natural route. Natural route wasn't going to work out. We were going to have to go for emergency C-section. As soon as Corbin pops out, okay, as soon as Corbin is actually born, she gets to look at him for two seconds and then passes right out, okay? And apparently this is not this is not completely uncommon, all right? Apparently passing out after having, you know, uh, an awful lot of drugs course through your system for an extended period of time, once the thing is done, you just kind of relax and you just out. You're just gone. So you have to have these kinds of decisions in place beforehand, okay? Now, my wife woke up a couple of hours later so that she could see the new baby and do all those new mommy-baby things. Um, but we'd already decided that we wanted to go ahead with the circumcision. Now, we thought that we were, you know, hip to it. We thought that we were smart people. We thought that we were creatures of a new age of this glorious thing called the Internet. And we had done some, I don't know, WebMD-like research, right? In fact, tonight in prep for the show, I went back to that WebMD website, and it's really quite uh, sterile. It's really quite um, uh, just the tip kind of information. You know, it's it's very surface level, introductory level kind of information. Um, it uh, it doesn't go into depth at all. In fact, in the section that says is circumcision necessary, all we find really is a, something from the American Academy of Pediatrics or the AAP that basically says that they think that the benefits of infant male circumcision outweigh the risks, but they will not recommend universal newborn circumcision. It's kind of like they're saying, yeah, the the benefits outweigh the risks, but you don't have to do it. Well, if the benefits actually outweigh the risks, then why don't you do it? Why don't you recommend They don't actually recommend it. They just say that the benefits outweigh the risks. It's the most wishy-washy kind of thing that you've ever seen. Whether or not it it is written in a way that whatever preconceived idea you have coming here, you will think that somebody agrees with you, right? Okay? If you think that circumcision is a good thing, then you're going to read that that the benefits outweigh the risks, and so it's a good thing. If you're coming in here and you're thinking that circumcision probably is, is not a good thing, you're going to say, but we don't recommend universal circumcision. And you're going to say, well, then, well, then I don't need to do it because you're not actually recommending this. It's whatever you think you want to hear. I mean, that's that's what I'm reading here. That's what I'm reading here now, okay? Ten years ago, when I was coming here with a confirmation bias, 
right? My confirmation was biased, and it was satisfied, right? It was satisfied exactly like that with exactly those words. It was satisfied when I saw that, well, there are risks, there are benefits, and the American Academy of Pediatrics says that the benefits outweigh the risks. Oh, there's my decision. It must be good. My doctor wasn't pushing circumcision to give credit where credit is due. Our, our, our OBGYN doctor, baby person doctor, delivering doctor, did not push circumcision at all and said, in fact, the only statement that this doctor ever said in regard to circumcision was, quote, there is no medical reason for this procedure. Those are the only words ever uttered in regard to circumcision. Now, you know, the decision, of course, was completely ours, and our doctor was going to go along with every decision we make. But when we would ask for a recommendation, we would ask for what do you think, the only words the doctor would ever say, ever, were there is no medical reason for this to happen. Okay? All right. But it seems that the risks, that the benefits outweigh the risks. It seems that uh, this is going to be just fine. I mean, there is going to be uh, uh, pain relief, right? We're going to numb. We're going to uh, we're going to inject. We're going to use medicine. Oh yes, yes. All of that stuff's going to be good. We're going to make sure this is as pain free as possible. All right, fine. Okay. You know, uh, we're going to get some instructions on how to care for and how to. Maintain and clean. Okay, good. Well, all of this seems just fine. All right. Just so long as you, we all understand that there isn't, there is no medical reason for this to happen. All right, good. Okay. Um, and that's how we ended up falling down on the side that we were going to get our son circumcised. When it, fast forward a few years, uh, four actually, to be precise. Uh, my wife is pregnant again, and we're a little concerned that we may have made the wrong decision about circumcision the first time around. Now, both of us, both my wife and I, are, you know, into our atheism. Okay, we've embraced our atheism. At that time, I, you know, we're, we're, uh, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm thinking that I need to get more involved in the atheist community. I'm thinking that I need to start making an atheist community in my area. I need to start doing the work to start trying to form the uh, atheists, humanists, and agnostics of the Wabash Valley, which is a which is a group that I run locally now for atheists and agnostics and humanists here in my area. I'm just getting those ideas together when my wife becomes pregnant again. And now my position on circumcision. Let's change. My ideas of why there is circumcision in the first place has become a bit more enlightened. I've become more aware that this is a tradition that is based in religion, that this is part of a covenant 
that the Jews the Jews think that they have made with their God, that it's biblical, that is the oldest, most ancient uh, planned surgery in all of human history, and it is so because of religion. That outside of faith-based ideas, circumcision really isn't a thing. And, again, the words of my doctor, of my wife's doctor, have stuck in my head, have resonated in my brain. There is no medical reason for this to happen. Which I now understand, I now understand, means that there are lots of non-medical reasons to do this, and that means that they all those reasons are religious. When my wife was pregnant for the second time then, we had news discussions with a new barrier, uh, new information that we had to consider. We were, if, if she was going to be carrying a son, would we circumcise our second son? Is that something that we would do? Look, that means that out two out of the three males in the house would be circumcised, and then the one would not. Would he feel different? Would he feel ostracized? Would he feel that there was something wrong with him? He would look different. He would see that he's different. Um, eventually. I mean, you know, not because we're all going to be out pairing, but, you know, he would be different. And we is, is that something that we need to do? Now, it turns out that my wife was pregnant with my daughter. So that wasn't really a thing that we had to worry about for very long. You know, we're, again, one of these new, cool people who make sure that we know the gender, the sex, sorry, the sex of our child uh, as soon as we can. And, you know, so we can paint a room, I guess. I don't know. Or we can tell family and friends what kind what, what, uh, what, uh, kinds of, I don't know, stuff they want to get, what colors stuff they want to get. Everybody wants to get girls pink and purple and boys, I don't know, blue and red. I don't know. That's just what people do. I was sort of relieved then when I found out that that we were going to be having a girl because now circumcision, of course, is completely off the table. We're not doing any of that female circumcision stupid stuff. No, no, no. It left me wondering if I had screwed up, um, if I had messed up in circumcising my son. It left me wondering, I still wonder today, if I've completely screwed him up. Um, I don't think I have. I mean, you know, I know I know I'm circumcised and stuff works. I know a lot of people who are circumcised and their stuff works. Um, I I don't I don't know now if the benefits really do outweigh the risks. The um the benefits well the benefits according to the uh according to WebMD are a de- are a decreased risk of urinary tract infections. Okay? There's another website out here that says urinary tract infections. Uh this is coming from kidhealth.org. I probably should put these links in the show notes. <laughs> Maybe I will. Kidshealth.org. It says that uh, urinary tract infections in infants, yeah, we're talking about maybe 5%. Uh, 
five percent. You know, you're going to de- decrease that. You're decreasing a risk that's already pretty damn low. It's just not there. Okay. Uh, another benefit of circumcision, from WebMD, is a uh, decreased is some reduced risk of some sexually transmitted diseases. The Wikipedia page on uh, on circumcision seems to think that those that that risk is um, is uh, really uh, barely statistically significant. Uh, said something about 1.8% decrease. A 1.8% decrease. Goodness gracious, isn't that falling within the margin of error? That doesn't sound like a that doesn't sound like a decrease at all. How did you even come to that? That's crazy. I don't know. When it comes to the risks, though, when it comes to the risks, the risks on WebMD talk about things like pain and irritation to the glands, um, uh, risk of maybe a bleeding or infection at the site of the circumcision. But if you go to Google, type in the words botched, circumcision. Be sure that you do so. Um, ready to see some very, very disturbing images. Okay. Fortunately, the websites that I visited tonight all had, whoa, listen, you are about to see some disturbing stuff. Are you sure you want to see this disturbing stuff? Let me just tell you, whether or not you click yes or no, the answer will be no. You are not prepared for what you're about to see. Is not good. I like the way that the, sh- that the page brings you in slowly. That in order to get to the really, really bad stuff, you, uh, you, you have to scroll down a few. Uh, you have to go down a, uh, a little bit on the page. But there are, uh, I found images of botched circumcisions that will take your breath away, okay? This is, now perhaps these botched scenarios are rare in first world countries where medicine is good. Still, the idea that these things happen is frankly terrifying. Um, just terrifying. I heard a guy, someone say, I don't know who said it, but I heard someone say that basically, listen, basically, don't do surgery if it's not absolutely necessary. Don't do any kind of surgery unless it's absolutely necessary. Unless it's going to increase your health, any kind of health. Mental health is included in this. So if you need to if you need to have some kind of surgery in order to um make your self esteem, your self confidence, your yourself feel better about yourself, all right, even in a cosmetic way, then I don't see a problem with that. You know, mental health is health. But if you can avoid surgery, well, then avoid it. Well, then avoid it. I mean, it doesn't seem to be that 
difficult of a concept. If you can avoid surgery, then avoid it because every surgery has risk. And these and, and surgery on 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 your on your genitalia, if you can avoid it, then then avoid it. Now, I'm not saying that there's nobody who's ever going to have to have surgery on their genitalia ever. Right? There are all kinds of reasons why you might need need to have surgery. But maybe surgery on infants, maybe a surgery that's scheduled for an infant before the infant is born, maybe that kind of surgery, maybe that kind of surgery. Can we agree that that kind of surgery is not life-threatening? It is cosmetic and it is unnecessary. Necessary. I think that, hopefully, I think that as uh, our society becomes more secular, as our society becomes less religious, as our society progresses in all these ideas, maybe we can go back one day and take a look at the penis and say, you know what, maybe it's okay if the foreskin just stays right where it is. Maybe it's all right. We just leave that foreskin alone. It's going to be just fine. Now, I'm running out of time here. I was going to say something about, I was going to just say something, let me just say something quickly about there are uh, uh, cleanliness concerns when you have a foreskin. There are, some people are saying that, you know, you got to keep that stuff clean. Let me just assure everyone listening that there is one immaculately clean part of my body. That's it. There is no part of my body that gets scrubbed and cleaned more vigorously than my penis. All right? Can I just say that? Can I just say that there is no other part of my body that I enjoy cleaning more? And I don't think it's because I'm lacking a foreskin. I don't think it's because if I had a foreskin, I would be more concerned about that. Just saying that cleanliness, I don't think you ever have, I don't think you would ever have to have a problem with that. Just tell people to clean it, and they will. I don't even know, no one ever had, ever had to tell me to clean myself. It is the most immaculately clean part of my body. Absolutely. I think that it's, that maybe we can start having this conversation again about circumcision, about whether or not it's useful, whether or not it's meaningful. I mean, I realize that I came to that conversation way too late for it to affect the people in my life. Um, You know, I I really kind of wish that I had had more information presented to me, better information presented to me, and I really wish that I had been more uh, adept at thinking critically and reading uh, WebMD websites with a critical, rational point of view. You know, I was I, I was not practiced in understanding what my cognitive biases were back in those days. I was not. I didn't understand what confirmation bias was. I didn't understand how rational thinking was supposed to work when I go and, and, and I read things on the Internet. You know, I, I was one of the guys who was always taken in by posts on The Onion. 
that must be real. It's on the internet. I hadn't figured all that. So I wish I had. I wish I had been able to go to friends and then and, and talk to them about their ideas about circumcision. And I think that we ought to be able to have those conversations out in the open and um, with our friends and, and with our peers and with our doctors, especially with our doctors, of course, in order to make better decisions about whether or not we need to snip our infant tip. I'm I'm landed on no, by the way. I don't know if I don't know if I made that clear before or not, but uh, I'm landing on no. But maybe we should not, right? That uh, maybe you just go ahead and take the whole baby home with you instead of uh, leaving a small bit at the hospital. That's that's just where I'm coming down. I want to thank everybody one more time for for. for making the Atheist Roundtable the kind of successful show that it is, for liking the fan page, for sharing it with your friends, for leaving me your oh-so-coveted five-star reviews on iTunes. Thank you so much for following the show. If you ever want to contact the show, you can always call when it's on. You know, I always give the number to call at the end of the show because I'm a bad host. Okay, leave me alone. But if you ever wanted to call while the show was live, then the number you should call would be 347-838-8342. You can always email me at andrewtheatheist.gmail.com. But if you really want to call and it's not time when the show is live, then you can leave me a voicemail. You can leave a voicemail for the Atheist Roundtable at 765-280. 3066. That's the voicemail line for the Atheist Roundtable. Please give me a call. Leave me a three-minute voicemail, and if you want, I'll even play it on the air because I can do that. Sure, yeah. I got some great stuff coming up. I'm going to try to do more stuff with the Atheist Roundtable, bring more guests on to the Atheist Roundtable because I think that I owe you that if I'm going to be asking you for money on patreon.com slash Atheist Roundtable since I'm going to actually think that you might want to contribute to the show on a on a weekly basis, then I'm going to start putting in a bit more effort, hopefully, to make that worth your time. Um, so look forward to that, and thank you all very much for all the support that you've given me. Take care of yourselves. God isn't here. We are. Good night. Like the fan page for the Atheist Roundtable at slash Atheist Roundtable on Facebook or find your host at slash Andrew the Atheist. Send all of your email to andrewtheatheist at gmail.com. This podcast is the official podcast of atheists, humanists, and agnostics of the Wabash Valley. Find us on Facebook for monthly meetups. Music for this episode is provided, as always, by Dick Richards. Thank you, Dick. God is here. We are. Take care of yourselves.